This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? Your desires uh, you have, you murder and covet, but you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship of the world is hostility towards God? So whatever want, uh, whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that Scripture says, The Spirit He made to dwell in us envies inten- uh, intensely, but He gives greater grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We have been traveling through the book of James for the past several weeks. And so we are in James chapter 4 today, verses 1 through 12 primarily. Author Brennan Manning wrote, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. In the play Transit Gloria, a man finds himself post-death trying to explain why he should be allowed into heaven. He was a faithful churchgoer, a member. He tithed. He tried to live a good life, but his name was not in the book of life. The The registrar explained, belief is not simply saying the words, I believe. Belief is knowledge and practice. Many men have said the words, I believe, but belied the fact in the living of their lives. Men who are too busy to learn about the things their lips say are central in life are not believers. Men who are too busy to learn about God are too busy to know God. Christianity is for the kitchen, the shop, the the store, the garage, the factory, the living and working rooms of life, not locked up in the parlor for holiday viewing only. The Bible, likewise, is to be used, read, studied, worn, written in, and wrestled with, not to decorate an isolated spot on a shelf in dusty quarantine. The chief of the commandments, you were told, was to love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
heart, strength, soul, mind, the whole of man. To believe is to seek to know. To believe is to commit oneself completely. To believe is to dedicate one's being wholly to God. What do you believe? That is what this entire series through James is about. What is real faith? What James was addressing is what I have seen in our own evangelistic or evangelical circles. People who profess Christ with their lips, who say, well, I walked forward when I was seven years old and I accepted Christ and I was baptized, so I'm good. But then their lifestyle is directly contradictory to the teachings of Christ, to what is written in Scripture. It seems that almost every week, Pastor Adam has warned us that we're about to get our toes stepped on. James is a really good book for getting your toes stepped on. In fact, many of the apostles' letters uh, are very good for getting your toes stepped on. Doesn't it seem so? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time reading through Scripture and not feeling a little pang somewhere, sometime. I think that's good, actually. If you're able to read Scripture without feeling convicted... I think you need to pray. Seriously. So this Sunday, this morning, prepare to feel a pinch. I mean, I've been feeling it all week long, so I'm not going to let you off the hook. This passage warns us against worldliness. Like the proverbial frog who gets boiled because it fails to detect the gradually rising temperature in the pot, we too are often unaware of the worldliness that has crept into our lives and into our homes and even into our church. So let us pray that God will open our eyes this morning, that he will give us soft hearts to accept and receive his instruction. I come before you again, God, asking just that, that you would open our eyes to see ourselves, to see our families, to see our church, to open our eyes, reveal to us, as as the psalmist says, reveal to us if there is anything unpleasing to you within us. Show us, illuminate for us, please, those things Things that we don't realize. We're, we're, we're not aware of the air that we breathe. We're not, just as, as, as we're not aware of our surroundings so much of the time because we take it for granted, we often don't realize the worldliness that has crept into ourselves. So God in heaven, we need you to reveal to us what these things are so that we can lay them at the cross, so that we can sacrifice them, so that we can get rid of them, so that we can hand them over to you, that you may purify us, that you may make us more like your son, Jesus. Give us soft hearts, please, to accept your instruction. In your name, amen.
starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and do not obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You know, it's, it's easy for us to read that, especially that first part of verse 2, and sort of, sort of skim over it because, I mean, when was the last time you shanked somebody? When was the last time you, you know, just walked up to somebody and blew them away? I, I dare say none of us in this room have had that experience. None of us have literally physically killed somebody. And so we read words like that. You desire, do not have, so you murder. Well, it's not me. Okay, moving on. James is using very strong language here for a reason. Because he wants to highlight to the believers that he is writing to that the way they are behaving... It's as if they were killing each other. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus upped the ante there. He revealed that what's in our hearts is as important as what comes out in our hands and our mouths. We kill each other daily. Now, I can't speak for you, but I must confess that I have much to repent of each night. I think probably one of my worst times where I commit murder the most, is probably driving. There's a thing that I call the Kansas City exit. I think you all know what I'm talking about. According to Jesus, I just shot that guy. That's convicting. And Jesus has a way of bringing this to my attention when I forget that I've got a five-year-old in the back seat. How many of you have had that experience? When I worked for the Eureka Rescue Mission, our chaplain would often tell the men in our New Life Discipleship program that the key to joy is to place Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Well, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I live inside me. <laughs> and it's so hard for me to get beyond myself. It's so hard for me to get beyond what I want and my desires. It's so hard sometimes for me to act in love rather than frustration. So what's the key? How do I put Jesus first and others second and myself last? Well, prayer is the key. The last half of verse 2 and verse 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
You see, prayerlessness results in failure to receive many of God's blessings. Now, James is not saying that God is going to grant sinful, selfish desires. Quite the opposite. But bringing our requests to God can have a purifying influence on our desires. Bringing our requests to God, the Holy Spirit can help us see whether that is a genuine, Christ-honoring, God-centered request. This passage is definitely not espousing the beliefs and teachings of the the name-it-and-claim-it or the so-called prosperity gospel as they twist it for their own purposes. You know, Philippians 4.13, many of us know this one, and if you don't know the address, you'll know it when I quote it. It's one of the most misapplied passages in the Bible. People love to quote, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me without realizing what that passage is actually saying. It is not a verse about self-actualization. So what does it say in the context? Well, Paul writes, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's about trusting God in every circumstance. Now, one of the best examples of this is in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Now, remember that passage, Philippians 4.13, it's written to the church in Philippi. Well, this event in Acts 16 takes place in Philippi. So I think it would be very, when he mentions this, when Paul writes to the church there, I think they will immediately relate his writings to this experience because they, this is how the church in Philippi started. Paul and Silas, they're arrested. They're beaten without trial, which was illegal. They had rights. As Roman citizens, they had rights. Their rights were violated. They were beaten without trial, and they were chained up in the innermost dungeon of the prison. That's like over the top. I mean, they're already in the innermost prison cell. They ain't going anywhere. But no, the jailer had to do a little bit extra. I'm going to chain you up in here as well. And so what was their response to this? Did they immediately say, we have rights and you can't violate them? They did not. In verse 25, we read, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Their response was to pray. Do you think that they wanted out of the prison? Well, absolutely. And they could have stood on their rights as Roman citizens rather than on children of God. But they didn't. Their response to this horrible calamity of being beaten and imprisoned illegally was to pray and sing hymns to God. Their focus is on Jesus Christ. Jesus first. And then the last half of verse 25, and the prisoners were listening to them. Don't you think they knew that they had a captive audience? Quite literally. 
Their focus is on Jesus first and the others second. The prisoners who are listening to them praying and praising the God of all creation, Jesus Christ, his son. So even if they even had a thought for themselves, it was a very distant last. We do not have because we do not ask. And we ask and do not receive because our motivation is wrong. There are things, we can all relate to this. We like things the way we like them. I mean, don't we? I mean, and, and marketers capitalize on that. A while back, Burger King's motto was your way right away. That a little rabbit trail. Gosh, that was a lie. I never got it my way, and it certainly wasn't right away. But that was their marketing ploy. Your way right away. We have two, at least that I know of, Amazon distribution centers. And before COVID hit, I could get same-day delivery. That was amazing. My way, right away. I can order it and I can have it the same day. We want what we want. We like what we like. And we get so caught up in that, that when things deviate, we get upset We need to put Jesus first and others second and ourselves a very distant last. Well, let's continue looking through this passage. We're in verse 4 now of James chapter 4. And James writes, you adulterous people. It's obvious that James has never read how to win friends and influence people. He's apparently not familiar with the phrase, you get more flies with honey than with vinegar. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God is jealous for you. God is jealous for us. The words adultery and idolatry are linked. They are related to each other. In the Old Testament, God, through the prophets, constantly calls Israel an an adulterous people because of their idolatry. They're cheating on him by worshiping false gods. Now, I I don't think that anybody in here has ever actually, you know, got on their knees and bowed down before a statue of some kind. But we make idols all the time. We make idols of our schedules. We make idols of work. We make idols of our church building. We make idols of how our kitchen is laid out. We make idols of how much time we spend watching television. We can even make idols of giving and serving. You see, when we place something, when, let me back up just a little bit. 
I just remembered something I heard a long time ago. Somebody said, show me your checkbook registrar and your calendar, and I will show you what you worship. What we spend our money on and what we spend our time doing are the things that are important to us. And when anything is more important to us than God himself, that's an idol. How do we spend our time? How do we spend our resources? I don't know about you, but I find that very convicting. Because in any given week, any given day, I know I have not spent enough time praying and studying the Word of God, meditating on Scripture. Even just communicate, just thank you, God, just... I know that I spend a lot of time just frittering time away. And so I come to passages like this, and it's very easy for me to just kind of skim through it because I know if I sit and I meditate on this like I had to this week, thank you very much, I'm going to feel very convicted. God is jealous for us. Even good things, when we make them God things, become bad things. Let me say that again. When good things become God things, they become bad things. There are two tendencies in the Christian life, two tendencies in our churches. One is, as I mentioned before, to think just because I walked forward and I got dunked in some water, I'm good to go and I can live any which way I want and it doesn't matter. The other is to think, you know, I am in the church every single time the doors open. I help with the, the landscaping. I clean it. I, blah, I do this. I teach Sunday school. I you know, blah, volunteer. And I do all these things. And I give 50% of my paycheck and everything else. And so God owes me that I can somehow serve my way into heaven. We don't think about that consciously, but that is the unconscious. Those are the two pendulum swings. I'm considerably younger than most of you, and I've seen that in my brief period on this planet, so I know you've seen it too, maybe even in your own life. So we need to pray and rely on God to keep us on that middle path. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. The world says, look out for yourself. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 26, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and, gave, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, but isn't that hard? Isn't that hard? I mean, even, even in our serving, we often get prideful. Whatever area of the church that you serve in, whatever area of ministry you do, doesn't it just chap your hide when something is out of place? I, it bugs me. When I come in on a Sunday morning and I'm going, what happened to my whatever? Where did it go? Or if your kitchen's your thing and you walk in, the kitchen's not the way you left it. I know I've heard that one. Don't try to hide. <laughs> or Jim. Where did the light bulbs go? 
We've, I started to call you out, brother. <laughs> He's never said that, by the way. He's never like, you know, yell, you know, anyway. Just, I'm just, as an example, I should have picked a different name. <laughs> a fictitious church somewhere else. We get so frustrated. Because we get, even in our service, we tend to get prideful. It's so hard. But verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's continue. Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's not just about resisting the devil. It's resisting the devil by drawing near to God. I need God. We sang earlier, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I think I'd like to change that lyric. Every second, I need you. Can we do that next time, maybe? I don't know. Every second, I need you. Because that's how I feel. That's my reality. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James is telling his readers, don't be blasé about this. Don't take for granted your salvation. Don't take for granted what God has done for you. Humble yourselves. We need to be broken for our behavior. We need to be broken for our thinking, for the conditions of our hearts. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We're back to prayer in this passage. I have a, a little bit of experience with selfishness and pride. And the only remedy that I have found that works is drawing close to God. Well, how do we draw close to God? What, is, what does that look like? Aren't we such do, do, do people? We're such Marthas, I think, a lot of us. I know I am. I mean, I immediately want to turn everything into a checklist. That's one of the hardest things about uh, the, the, the Experiencing God book, I think is because it keeps reminding us that it's not about a checklist. But at least, hey, we've got a book with some questions at the end of each one, so we can kind of fake it. Um, but we immediately want to go into a kind of a checklist. How do we do this? Well, at, 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 I'll give some, some, some ideas, some thoughts. Meditating on Scripture. What does it mean to meditate? Meditate simply means focused thinking. So what does it mean to meditate on Scripture? There's a lot of different ways that you can meditate on Scripture. One of those is by writing a passage down, even just a verse. I'm, I, I, I really love Bible reading plans. I mean, I use them all the time, different ones, different purposes, different times of the year, etc. Currently going through a chronological. Um, my problem is I get bogged down and I then spend like two weeks on Genesis 13. I don't know. Uh, 
but that's another one. I'm rabbit trailing and I rabbit trailed myself right into another example of meditating. Pick a passage and read it over and 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 over. You get it? Pick a short book. Pick a short book. In the New Testament, we've got several books that are one chapter, three chapters long. And just read that one book every day for a week. And let it soak in and seep into your mind. In your daily reading, as you're going through whatever you're reading, I'm back to my original point, (laughs) a verse that pops out at you, write it down on a three-by-five-inch card. Carry it with you. Stick it in your pocket or in the visor of your car, wherever you're going to be spending a lot of time, in your wallet. So every time you open that up, every time you flip the sun visor down to block out the sun, whatever it is, that, boom, there it is. It's right there. It's in your face, and you read that verse again. Find ways. I knew somebody that would write these out and stick them on the mirror in their bathroom. All week long, they would do this. So when they would get up in the morning, they'd see ver- yesterday's verse that popped out at them. And when they'd go to bed at night, they'd see all the verses you know, from the previous days. Meditate on the Word of God. Prayer. What can I say about prayer? We all know we need to pray more. <laughs> and they don't have to be long or ornate prayers. Father God in heaven, Item number one, please forgive me for what I just said about the guy that just cut me off. Item number two, bless him. He's going through something. Whatever it is in his life that's caused him to do that, I just pray that you would fix it. Help him. Praying. Music. This is one specifically for me. I grab my guitar and I play music. I play Christian, you know, I I play worship songs. I sing. Not everybody does that. So listening to the Christian radio station or your Christian, you know, albums. Uh, I don't know if they still do, but there was a radio station that would have um, a challenge where they would say, for a month, just listen to Christian music. And now, I'm not dead set against secular music by any stretch. But it was an interesting thing. This this radio station challenged their people. Are you you struggling with your mind? I mean, are you thinking things that you shouldn't be thinking? Well, for a month, just listen to only Christian music. That's just one extra little step you can do to kind of purify your mind. And I have to admit, I mean, I did that. And yeah, you know, it really helped. There are a lot of ways that we can draw close to God. But the issue is the heart. If we think about our relationship to God as a relationship, well, think about it in terms of your relationship to other humans, whether it's your spouse or a parent or a child. Relationships need time, don't they? They need connection. The the expression, absence makes the heart grow fonder, I don't believe that. I think the absence makes the heart go yonder. We need to be with the person of our affection to fuel that affection. So spend time with God. Okay, we're finally at the last couple of verses here. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law 
and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We're back to the controlling the tongue issue that we talked about in chapter 3 a couple weeks back. And even at the very beginning, when we first started this off, James chapter 1, verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 is a passage that I've made my children learn. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When I was a youth minister, I made the teenagers memorize that passage, and whenever they heard somebody saying things they ought not to say, whether it was gossip or swearing or whatever, they would say, hey, E429, Ephesians 4:29, E429, to remind each other, to hold each other accountable to what they were saying. It's a hard issue, a heart issue and a hard issue. Placing Jesus first and others second, and ourselves last, watching what we are saying. Every time we badmouth somebody, we murder them. Every time we get angry and yell, whether it's directly at them or not necessarily in their presence, We're killing them in our heart. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, the one who set aside his rights as the creator of the cosmos and allowed humans to nail him to a torture device so that he could take the punishment for what we have done. How well are we following his example? I know this is a lifelong task. And I know that at some point in the very near future, we're going to annoy each other. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. I love the passage in here where he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. That seems like a strange verse to love. but it reminds me that I need to take this seriously. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, first of all, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I want to thank you that you are so gracious and so merciful that even when we take it for granted, you forgive. I can't imagine how amazing you are. You just, that, that you are so forgiving. And every time we come to you, I screwed up again, Father. I screwed up again. Please forgive me. That we never have to worry that you say, nope, sorry, too many chances, you're gone. God Almighty, I can't even imagine that kind of graciousness which reveals to me just how hard my heart is. So, Father in heaven, I ask you this morning, please, give us soft hearts. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Please, help every single one of us to be more like your son. Not to earn salvation, but because we are saved. Change us, shape us. Give us clean hands and pure hearts. Please, help us to commit ourselves to you. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.